chapter 13. I sat opposite Ma as I then started to call him so he wouldn't realise I knew he used different fake names with me to everyone else. Why did you say yes? He watched me as I considered how to answer the question. His gaze made me feel like a caged lion who should be free, but instead is made to prowl around the cage, unable to do what comes naturally to it. I was in control of my actions while trying to prize an identity out more, but he was the cage preventing me from doing what I needed to. I had to find a way to break out and attack him. I pretended to read the menu. Sorry? I asked. To the date? His voice grew slightly louder. He was becoming impatient. Why not? I asked. Most women say no, and you said you were engaged. Did I? Yes, the first time I spoke to you. You don't even remember me, do you? Of course I do. You eat at the crusty edge all the time. I waved my hand as if to bat away his suggestion that I didn't remember him. Right, so you remember serving me but not giving me the brush off the first time I asked you out. He was right, but I couldn't admit that to him. My fiancé works in the kitchen. I couldn't just... I twirled a finger around my hair and cast him what I hoped was a shy smile. But I served you brownies, I guessed. So you really are engaged? His eyes narrowed. He picked up his fork, his grip tightening around it. For a second, I thought he might try to lunge across the table and stab me with it. He let go of the fork, allowing it to clatter against his wine glass. Not anymore, I looked him in the eye, confident that my response felt close enough to the truth. I held up my hand to show I wasn't wearing a ring. He smiled. If I didn't know any better, I would have believed I imagined the earlier reaction. I had to remind myself this man was a serial killer. He was used to putting on a front to the world one moment, then letting himself go and acting on his psychotic tendencies in the next moment. Good. The smile spread across his face, making my stomach lurch, but not in a good way. I looked down at the menu as he explained how much he hated cheaters. I resisted the urge to tell him how much I hate murderers, especially when one of them is destined to kill me in a few days. The waiter arrived. After studying the menu, I found the smallest course. Two chicken wings with a choice of sides. I opted for a small portion of chips. My appetite had abandoned me. I thought about picking up my fork and stabbing more with it. Not only would that stop him from killing anyone, including me, it would also make me feel better. I was in a nice restaurant as a customer instead of a waitress, and able to eat food again. It was only temporary, so I should be enjoying the taste with the smug knowledge that I no longer had to worry about my weight. Instead, I had to force down every single chip and bite of chicken, as he continued to talk about himself while avoiding giving me anything useful. So, I worked at the garage fixing cars, he finished. I'd been looking at him, but my mind wandered elsewhere. It would be useful to discover where he worked. Even if he no longer worked there, I doubted he ever worked anywhere near a garage, though. Every word coming out of his mouth could be a lie. Chasing up false leads seemed like a good way to squander my limited time. Excuse me, I said, standing and using a napkin to wipe away any possible traces of tomato ketchup from my mouth. I'm going to the toilet. I'll be back in a minute. I left before giving him a chance to say anything else. Within a minute of sitting down on the toilet, the door squealed. 
then heels clicked against the floor from outside the cubicle. The owner of the heels let out a small breath. Sarah? Shelley's voice asked. Yes, it's me. I finished what I was doing and stepped out of the cubicle. Have you got anything useful? She asked. No, just more lies. How far were you willing to go with this? She posed a question that I hadn't wanted to ask myself. I knew if I went back to his place with him, he would have to go to the bathroom sometime. That would at least give me a minute to look for some ID or a bill with his real name on. Then I would also know where he lived, unless he had the second address for taking women back to. Something told me the occasion didn't happen often enough for that. I could make my excuses and leave before having to go too far. But what if he didn't need the bathroom until after sex? Could I really let him touch me, knowing he was a killer who preyed on women who spurned him? It's okay, Charlie said, seeming to sense my reluctance. Or maybe she thought the same way I did. I have an idea. You should get back to him before he gets suspicious. You've been in here for five minutes. I left the bathroom first and sat back down on my seat, ignoring the stairs from my date. What took you so long? Sorry, I had to redo my makeup. You look fine. His eyes inspected my face. I felt like I was being scrutinised. Surely he couldn't be looking for traces of freshly applied makeup. How would he even know if I reapplied my makeup or not? I only wanted to look my best for you, I said softly, curling my finger around the strand of hair again. He smiled, seeming to accept that. So, he began. Shelley yelped, grabbing the table as she stumbled and landed on Moore's lap. I am so sorry, she cooed, putting one hand against his chest. He stared at her. His eyes fell to the mass of black hair. It was a wig. She was still bleached blonde underneath it at that point. He didn't realise that, though. He may have been trying to place where he had seen her before, but the smile he gave her was leering and lustful. His eyes flickered between her hair and generous-sized breasts. So he was a breast man and fond of women with dark hair as well as red. Was this a type or would he go for blondes too? I tried to figure out who might be his typical victim. I didn't hurt you, did I? Her hand moved down to his trousers, brushing against them slightly. But he didn't seem to care. He gasped, clearly enjoying himself. Shelley shot me a look. A satisfied smile flashed across her face just long enough for me to see it. I didn't know what she had done, but I grasped that the date was over. She stood and walked away, looking back on it to smile seductively at my leaving date. That's it, I snapped, impressed at how enraged I sound. I'm here on the date with you and you practically made out with that woman over the remains of my dinner. I snatched up my coat and bag from the seat next to me and strode towards the exit. Mo began to stammer a response, but I was already halfway out of the restaurant. I felt the eyes of everyone else drilling into the back of my head as each one of their owners tried to satisfy their morbid curiosity. My wallet! I heard more yell as I opened the door. I realised what all the touchy-feely stuff from Shelley had been for. She waited outside for me, grabbing my arm as she laughed and told me to run. We bolted down the street, but my four-inch heels slowed me down. I kicked them off and ran barefoot, laughing as Shelley's giggle seemed to be infectious. As we turned the corner, a bus pulled up at the bus shelter a few feet ahead of us. It was heading to Stockport, but that didn't matter. 
I hadn't planned on returning to Paul's house in Salford Keys anyway. Neither of us spoke. We jumped on and bought day tickets. The bus driver pulled away as we took our seats at the back. Moore caught sight of us and chased the bus. I started to think he might catch up at the next stop. Shelley stood and approached the driver. Excuse me, she said. This guy was chasing me and my friend even after we told him no and he's chasing the bus now. The driver must have glanced in his rearview mirror. I couldn't see him from where I sat. That guy with the dark hair? Yes, that's him. I stood up and walked to the front of the bus. He scared me so much I had to ditch my shoes, I said, lifting one leg for him to look at my bare foot, leaning on Shelley for support as I almost toppled over. She had to ditch her shoes, Shelley repeated. That's how slimy this guy was. Wondering hands and eyes if you get what I mean. Those shoes cost her £300. I looked at Shelley, trying not to smile. I knew there was a reason I wanted to be her friend. You must really have wanted to get away from him, the driver exclaimed, before radioing his boss to say he would be missing the next three stops because two young ladies were being pursued by some creep. His words, not mine, but I didn't disagree. Could you call the police as well, so they keep an eye out for this guy in case he approaches anyone else, I asked. You were amazing, I told Shelley after the driver returned us to the city centre on his way back to the depot, even though it wasn't his route and he finished his shift 20 minutes earlier. That shoe thing was genius, I never thought to mention it until you did, but it added an extra layer of believability to the story of us wanting to get away from some handsy creep. I smiled at her, but part of me wanted to thank her for helping then tell if I would continue alone. What was I thinking making a new friend a few days before my death? I didn't tell her I could manage the rest of my plan alone though. Instead, I took her with me to a nearby fast food restaurant and we went through his wallet. His real name is Tim Frey and he lives in Trafford according to his driving licence. Shelley held it out to me. The picture reminded me of what I imagined this prison photo would look like when the police caught up with him. All that was missing was a number that prisoners had to hold, if that really happened. I suppose it didn't matter, so long as the prison part happened. Thank you, I said. Those two words didn't cover everything. I still needed to find a way to ensure that information got to the police after I died, but I had more knowledge about my killer than I did before. No problem, that's what friends are for. Stealing some creep's wallet to get his personal details, she grinned at me. Do you want to come back for a drink to celebrate? I asked her. I knew Paul would be working late. Afterwards, he would probably go visit his hall. Shelley didn't reply straight away, and I thought she might say no. I felt relieved when she agreed, because I had an idea how to thank her. Ever since Paul and I got back together after I finished university, I saved every spare pound towards our wedding. It's cringeworthy looking back at it now, to realise I was so needy. I saved for her wedding before he even proposed. I had over a thousand pound in the box at the bottom of the wardrobe, in addition to another thousand in the bank. Paul just assumed the box held more shoes. I would have hoarded more cash if I had pursued a career in journalism, but Paul insisted it was too dangerous. I let Shelley into the house, listening out for Paul's snores, or the sound of him tapping on his computer in the front room, in case he left work early for whatever reason. I was greeted by silence and a note on the fridge saying there was a problem at the restaurant so we would be later than usual and we needed to talk about my earlier outburst. 
The restaurant is closed in an hour. That's when his shift finishes. How can he work later than that? Shelley asked. Exactly, I replied. You don't care? I'm past caring, I replied. I've had time to deal with it. I don't think I could be so understanding, she told me. I have a present for you to say thanks for your help tonight, I told her. Of course, she tried to turn down my gift, saying that's what friends are for, even before she knew what it was. When I presented her with a shoebox full of money, she protested some more. This was, this was towards my wedding, if that helps, I told her. It's not happening now. Then you keep the money. Use it to go on holiday somewhere. Show that asshole how you can have fun without him. Okay, I agreed, but hold on to it for me. We'll both go somewhere. Really? I felt bad lying to her, but that seemed like the only way to get her to take the money with her. Maybe she would remember our conversation and take a holiday after my murder.